All right, so we are starting a new series. It's called Encounters with Jesus. I'm going to read the text this morning. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to stand and join me for the reading of God's Word, and then I'm going to do a long introduction just so you know what's happening. Um, I went back and forth on how I was going to do the introduction, but um, I like to read Scripture first to keep us grounded. So I invite you to turn to John 9, and we're going to read all 42 verses, 41 verses. I'm trying to add to the Bible, forgive me, 41 verses. So if you are able to stand for the reading of God's Word, would you please do so? And we will be reading from John 9. And it reads, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. They spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him to go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them. He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could not see, so they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. So for a second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we are blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Let's pray. 
God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your spirit that leads us and guides us. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son for our sins. Lord, we're excited um, that we get to open up your word and see you in action. But not just of time past, but even now in this very moment, you're with us. So Lord, we thank you. We pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. And we will be careful to give you all the glory. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. You may have a seat. Hey, what a great story, huh? It's, it's amazing. There's so much um, that I circled and wanted to talk about. And, and I was even tempted to turn this one story into a whole series. But I didn't. And you're welcome. I don't know. <laughs> but really, uh, we are beginning a new series called Encounters with Jesus. And my hope is that we are going to go through the Gospels and look specifically at Jesus and the way that he worked while he had his earthly ministry. The first obvious is we're going to look at the gospel and simply hopefully lay it out and just see the goodness of God that he would send his son to save us because we're all sinners. Also, what I'm hoping to do with these encounters in Jesus is, is look how Jesus re- reaches people or I'm going to call them encounters with people. Sometimes it's individual, sometimes it's groups, sometimes people accept what he says, sometimes they don't. It's going to be varying, but they are still all encounters with Jesus. And also, hopefully, throughout this time, we're going to look at the response of those people that he had encountered. So how I got here, if you're interested, and if you're not, I'm still going to tell you, but how I got here is about halfway through the Ezra Nehemiah series, uh, I, I was praying through what series I should do next. That's normal. About halfway through, right whenever I start to lose steam and, of one series, because I'm always excited for the next thing, um, I pray, uh, what, what series and what's the follow-up series? And, and this one was difficult because it wasn't clear, and God had had not spoken to me in an audible voice. He doesn't sound like James Earl Jones or anything like that. I wish that he would sometimes. Uh, But really, uh, I was praying through, and what I realized is that God had already been preparing my heart to do this series, and, and, and he leads in different ways. And this time, it was through a series of conversations with people. And interesting, I realized, because sometimes I'm slow, a lot of times I am, that really these conversations started taking place last year. And these conversations that I was having with people, some of you in this very room, I noticed that uh, I was talking to people who were new to faith, who had just accepted Christ as their Savior, had an easier time talking about what Jesus had done in their life. More specific, they had no problem talking about what Jesus was currently doing in that moment, in that day, in that week. It was easy. They were excited. They wanted to share what Christ had done. Uh, it was as if they just got off the phone with Jesus and started talking to me. Or they just were riding along with Jesus in their car, going to the store, and they started sharing about what Christ was doing. Whereas some of us who have walked with Jesus for a very long time would say or talk about their encounter with Jesus as something that happened long time ago. They would talk about their encounter with Jesus as the time they believed in Jesus Christ, however many years ago, or the last major crisis Jesus carried them through. There was a contrast, and I found that I was doing it myself. And for some of you, you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior decades ago. Hallelujah for that. But sometimes it's easy to say, my encounter with Jesus was in 1960-whatever, or earlier. Or in 1999 in high school, or 84 in junior high, or whatever the math was. So I, I was realizing that if, if the new believers, if new believers were talking about Christ as if he was right there, right with us on that conversation, and they were piggybacking on Jesus through life, and some of us 
we're talking about what Jesus did in the past, what was going on? And again, there were some who said that they had grown up in a Christian home and they have always believed in Jesus Christ, which, if I'm honest, concerns me. Not that you grew up in a Christian home, praise the Lord. I'm so glad you did. But, which I don't doubt that you grew up in a Christian home and that you believed in Christ your whole life. But when did he become your Lord and Savior is my question. When did you respond to his grace? At some point, believers must believe on their own. They must surrender So the question I ask is, when did he go from your family or your parents' faith to your own faith? I also notice, again, going back to new believers, that they were so excited to share their faith with everyone. And even sometimes it was awkward. You sit down to eat dinner with someone, and this new believer is asking a waiter or waitress if they knew Jesus Christ, and you're sweating because you're like, I just want the bread, and, and can we wait to make sure they don't spit in our food? But they're so excited, and so there's this contrast, and, and if you're noticing a theme, there were many different experiences throughout this last year in conversation. Even so, earlier this week, I, I decided to run this sermon series with some some leaders of the church and different people who head up different ministries just to run it by them. And, and if you're here this morning, I'm not picking on you because first I'm picking on myself. There's total conviction. But like I said earlier this week when I was talking to some of the leaders, we met together and I was hoping to work out some of the, the kinks of the series and I asked people to share their most recent encounter with Jesus. And it was a little awkward, to be honest with you. So then I I told a recent encounter, and I'll tell it to you in bite-sized personal encounter. About an hour and a half before this meeting took place on Monday night, I watched this lady drive into our driveway, and I uh, went to go get coffee, because that's all I do here. And, And I looked out the window, and then I saw that she had all of her tools to change the tire just staring at the tire. So I went out there and I changed her tire. And then when we were talking, she said, what's this building? And I said, it was a church. And then I said, you should come. And if you're here this morning and I didn't see you, I'm not picking on you, but I don't see you. You should come at 10 o'clock. Then I said, hey, you can wash your hands in here and blah, blah, blah. And then have a nice day. That was my encounter with Jesus. So I shared that story on Monday night. Then I asked other people to share. And actually I had people get in groups and start discussing it. And then I told another story, too, a less exciting story, if you will. I was mentioning encounters with Jesus. We just got back from Israel. Thank you for your prayers. And the first story that I told about Israel was that when we got off the plane, I looked at my backpack, and I could not find my phone charger. And I kept all of my notes because I was going to teach several times while we were in Israel, and I didn't have it for my iPad or for my phone, and I started freaking out. Then we got to the hotel. I opened up my suitcase. There it was. Thank you, Jesus, an encounter with Jesus. (laughs) Then someone mentioned that, well, don't you think Natalie would have shared your phone charger with you? Well, besides the point, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) So... As we're considering our encounters with Jesus, first we have to see that it is he who woke us up this morning. That was our encounter. So as we're considering our encounters with Jesus, uh, I wrote down some challenges for many reasons why it is and can be difficult to share our encounters with Jesus. And I've only written a few, so there may be more. I may not cover yours, but why it may be challenging to recognize an encounter with Jesus, why it may be challenging to share, and I'll just get on with it. The first one, it can be hard to share in a group an encounter with Jesus. It can be hard to share. I mentioned, um, just so you know, I'm hoping to have people come and share their encounters on the stage at some point. If that terrifies you and you're already sweating, I won't ask you to do it. Uh, Erica Borrego so graciously said that she would share at the end of the sermon here, and she's going to share an encounter with Jesus. 
Another reason why it might be difficult. You were brought up in a home that if you shared something you did or happened to you, that was a lack of humility, so you never shared. Well, even that I shared the fact that I changed the lady's tire, I hope that I didn't make it about me. But I am the one who changed the tire. But it's for God's glory. I didn't even pray about it. I just saw a need and did it. But hopefully I'm, I'm walking in step with the Lord that you just see it and you do it. But I do know, as I was, you brought up in a home that if you share something about yourself, you're stealing glory from God. Anyone ever hear that brought up in that way? There was a lack of humility, so you never shared. Or you might be out of practice seeing an encounter with Jesus. This concept of an encounter with Jesus, you might fit in that demographic that you refer to your encounter with Jesus as when you were saved. Some of you might even be cynical and say, I am always walking in the Spirit and every moment is an encounter. Yes, then share it. And perhaps these last couple of ones might be a greater worry or problem with sharing or paying attention to your encounter with Jesus. It's not a rag to riches story. Everyone loves a good story where they're down and out and they're totally strung out on drugs or they run in the streets, etc. And then Christ gets a hold of their heart and then hallelujah. So you're afraid that it's not a very good story, just like you're afraid that your testimony of growing up in a Christian home isn't a very good one. It's a wonderful one. Because if you ask someone who had a rag to riches story, I almost guarantee that they would be willing, if they could, to trade their rags. And I don't know why I grew up in a Christian home. I'm thankful that I did. I cannot say why, outside of the grace of God, why I came to him at an early age and you didn't. But yet, he is a gracious and merciful God. Another reason why this encounter may be difficult, the encounter with Jesus may be difficult, is there is guilt and an encounter with Jesus sounds frightful. You may be sitting here and thinking, I really just want to keep Jesus at arm's length because I don't want to deal with my stuff. He knows your stuff already. There are some who may have not had a saving relationship with Christ yet. So this talk of an encounter with Jesus may be simply you attended church, you know some Christians, and you haven't had a personal relationship with Christ. And again, some of you are just afraid that if I ask you to come up here, that who knows what will come out of your mouth. So in front of you, on your chairs, are these little cards, and it says, my encounter with Jesus. And on the back, it says, write down an encounter you had with Jesus. And you can take a couple of them. We've ordered lots and lots. And, and, my, and what I'm asking everyone to do even if you will never come up here, is will you sometime this week write down your encounter with Jesus? And if you don't, do not like to write, then you can save it on your phone. You can put it on your notes. And if you do write on this card, you could take a picture and save it for yourself, or you can send it to us at info at renewmodesto.com, or you can turn it into the offering boxes back there. Um, but if you would, would you just write down if it's okay that we share this? Because you may just want to share it with us. And if you say, do not share, or I'll kill you. I won't, <laughs> I won't read it. I promise. Um, but also, we'll reach out. And maybe this is a story that we could share online. Um, for those who come up here and share, we're going to hopefully save them in a separate section so people can listen to other people's encounters with Christ. But I would like for everybody to at least write it down, even if you don't turn this in, but just for you. Because what I've noticed, at least uh, from the group that I talked to on Monday night, that people have been sharing more and more of their encounters with Jesus. 
ranging from a chocolate cake they weren't expecting to show up to taking kids uh, uh, to, to practice, to sports practice and having a meaningful conversation to uh, can't find their keys and they found it at the last moment. I mean, we're ranging from all different things. Um, so, but if you would, just, just everyone take at least one card and at least for you, write down your encounter. And then uh, throughout, even if, and if you're willing to share up front, write it, write it out. Because who knows, maybe we'll have a whole sermon where all we do is hear 20 people share their encounter. So we'll see what the Lord has with that. So make sure you take one. I will be obnoxious and remind you several times, hopefully. But ultimately, here's the reason. If we become more aware of our encounters with Jesus, he is faithful to make us more like him. And we will grow in his grace and his mercy. And my hope is that as we focus on the encounter with Jesus and we look at his encounters through the Bible as we will do here in just a moment, it will help bridge the gap between the new believers, the old believers, the non-believers to all focus in on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's the hope. And the more that you pay attention, the more often you notice. It's just like... The more often you, know, you, you notice the good things your children do or your spouse does, the more you grow to appreciate it. So in the text here, in John 9, we read all of John 9, we are going to look at five different people or groups of people who had an encounter with Jesus. And not all of them responded in a positive way, yet all of them had some sort of encounter with Jesus. We even will see that people had an encounter with Jesus who actually had not seen Jesus yet. And I'm not talking about the blind man. So at least the five that I wrote down here, if you're following along and taking notes, is the obvious one. The encounter the blind man had with Jesus. The second one is the disciples, their encounter with Jesus. The neighbors of the blind man who had an encounter with Jesus, the good old Pharisees and their encounter with Jesus, and the parents of the blind man and their encounter with Jesus. And then we'll finish out the text and circle back through it. So as we consider this, just again, see if you see the encounters yourself with the blind man, the disciples, the neighbors, the Pharisees, and the parents. So let's take a look. Verse 1 of John 9 says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? So let me point out the obvious. The man is blind. Jesus saw him. But the disciples knew him. And they knew him because they knew he was blind born he was born blind. Which is interesting to me because why now? Why now all of a sudden they're paying attention to this blind man? It's almost as if they they saw him, they knew of him, but now they're paying attention to him. And what I appreciate here is how Jesus handles it, handles the situation. He says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Stop there. There was a belief at the time, and I would suggest there's even a belief now in some ways, that if you have an ailment or if something bad has happened to you, it's because you've sinned. You remember Job and his friends? Just repent. You did something awful. Just repent, and this will be over. Also, there was a tradition at this time that believed that there was prenatal sin, meaning you could sin as a baby in the womb. There was also a belief that was creeping in because of the Greek influence and the Roman influence, a little bit of reincarnation. Clearly, this soul has been passed on, and that is why he is born blind. Or his parents sinned. Now, some of these are practical. Uh, they would point, the, the Jewish 
rabbis would point about the issue with Jacob and Esau fighting in the womb. See? Sin. Uh, They would also point to John the Baptist in the womb, leapt when he came near Jesus. So obviously, it's because of some kind of sin. And see, here's the problem. Here's the real heart of the problem, why I think it's still a modern-day issue. A lot of times, we are afraid that if we explain that there are bad things that happen and we don't know why except God is good, we're afraid that that won't be a good enough answer for anyone. So what we try to do is come up with a gimmick or a way or a reason to take the blame off Christ, the blame off Jesus. And granted, I'm not saying Jesus caused sin. I'm simply saying that God the Father had allowed it for his glory. And that's exactly what Jesus answers and responds to. So they ask him, why? Why is he born blind? And of course, there was other reasons you can get into at this time. And even in third world country, gonorrhea is a bad thing, and depending on when the birth is and how bad it is, you could go blind. So there are some actual physical things, but really what they were saying is, why was he born blind? Give us a reason. But here's here's the best part. Jesus saw a man, and the disciples saw an ailment. Jesus saw an image bearer of himself, and the disciples just saw a problem, a problem to solve. They couldn't get beyond it. Can you imagine walking by and then just making that blind person a topic of discussion with no desire to help whatsoever? I wrote down here just to work it out that if a theological debate or conversation prevents you from meeting the practical needs, you have missed your theology. You've totally missed it. All they wanted to do was keep walking and have this conversation. And like, like the disciples that we will see over and over again, you just think, man, you guys missed the point. And then you realize, man, I missed the point too. But they wanted to know, whose fault was it, Jesus? Whose fault is it that he is blind? And then Jesus gives his answer. It was not because of his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. This happened for God's glory. Now, I would imagine that when we get to heaven and if we talk to this blind man, that this blind man will not say, can you believe I was blind for however many years it is? There's speculation since his parents said he could talk for himself. He's at least older than 25. So we'll say 25 years at least. Can you imagine getting to heaven? He said, man, can you believe for the first 25 years of my life I was blind? How could he? No. that he saved him, that he healed him. So they wanted to know, how did this happen? Why did this happen? He said, this is so the power of God could be seen in him. Ultimately, and if you remember through Acts, all of the miracles, that physical miracles that Jesus performed was not just for the physical healing, but leading back to salvation. It was, oh, it's always leading back to salvation. So then he gives... Uh, what I think they miss until later on in John and later on in, well, the Gospels. In verse 4, he says, We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. An, an I am statement. The same I am statement that God said to Moses at the burning bush, I am. And Jesus is making that connection. So he said, we have work to do. You can only be saved here on earth, not later on. That was to, to deal with the whole thought of sin, prenatal sin and all this. And I'm not talking about original sin. Of course, there's original sin. But really, sometimes the question is, is and I, even, I ask this all the time, why wasn't I born blind? Why me? Why was I chosen? Why? 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 Why me? I can't answer that. Yet there's original sin and I'm a sinner just like them. So he's, he, Jesus is correcting the fact. Not, this is not a theological issue alone. We have to help this man. So the blind man's encounter is this very thing that Jesus does. Verse 6, Then he, Jesus, sped on the ground, made mud with his saliva, spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Can you imagine being blind? And there's a heightened sense of hearing, I, as I understand so he probably hears these people talking. 
which is not unfamiliar. Of course, people were talking about him being blind and being a beggar. And of course, he was outside of the temple because where else would you be? Hopefully collecting alms that people will feel bad. Part of the Jewish tradition was that you had to do good things in order to be right with God. So here's a couple of shekels, a shekel or two. But he spits on the ground. So all of a sudden, imagine you're blind. You hear people talking and then you hear... I mean, seriously. And then next thing you know, whammo, right in the eyes. <laughs> That's gross. I don't know how else to say it, right? And there's a lot of commentary saying he, Jesus did this because we're all made from dust. and dirt. I, I think ultimately he did this because Jesus always wanted to show the Pharisees their issues with their tradition If your tradition doesn't line up with the word of God and who Christ is, you've missed it. So he spit on the ground. Well, first of all, just so you know, this is on the Sabbath. There is a rule. You are allowed to spit on the Sabbath. You, however, are not allowed to make mud because that's tilling the ground. Sweet Jesus. So he spits on the ground and then boom, on his eyes. And then he says in verse 7, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Uh, it's sent. It's, it has both meanings sent because Jesus sent him there, but really it's the Gihon Springs. This is when uh, Hezekiah rerouted the tunnel system. I have a picture here so you could see because I'm slowly going to show you that we really were in cool places. So this is it. And when we were there, there were people who jumped in to be healed of something, which was neat to see, but it was hard to see because people saw this as what was healing, the healing factor, when in reality it was Christ. So he would have walked down those stairs. I think they're modernized now a little bit, if I remember correctly, and he jumped in that pool, which is routed by Hezekiah's tunnel, which you can walk through, which is creepy and cool at the same time. But he jumps in this pool, he washes his eyes, and then he can see. But why? Why did Jesus, first of all, spit on the ground, put mud in his eyes, and why did he send him? Because Jesus could have just snapped, could have thought it, could have spoke it, could have whatever he wanted. Why this? I think there's two main reasons. What I have noticed when Jesus does a physical healing to someone who is never physically touched. He always touches them. Blindness was considered a disease that could spread. Just like leprosy, just like other physical ailments. So what you will see as you read through the Gospels, as Jesus heals people, anytime someone would have been considered an outcast and devoid of physical touch, he always touched them. Always. Not only is he able to heal the physical ailment, but he's also able to heal the ailments that are put on by other people. The lack of touch. So why run over to this bath, this pool to jump in and wash his eyes? As God works in our lives, he always wants to see or wants us to see if we will obey. He wants to see if we will respond to what he's doing, not because he doesn't know, but so that way we know. So the blind, but really imagine, again, you hear, he spits, he puts mud in his eyes, and he says, go wash it out. And maybe I'm cynical sometimes, but I think, well, yeah, you just spit in my eyes, I'm going to go wash it out. But specifically, go wash it out. So he washes it out. So the man, verse 7, he goes and washes it out, and he came back seeing. So he runs back for the first time he can see in his life. I can't even imagine what it would be if you never saw and then could see physically. But what we'll notice here is John, the author of this gospel, does a clever way of playing on the word of seeing. And we'll see that here in a minute. So he comes back seeing in verse 8. Now we're going to look at the encounters which Jesus has with the neighbors. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and some said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am. It's me. Shh, we're talking about you. Don't answer. (laughs) See, the encounter with Jesus that the neighbors see is not a direct encounter, but an encounter with someone who had an encounter with Christ. 
I think that's so important as we are considering our own encounter with Jesus. Think about who led you to the Lord. Someone who had an encounter with Jesus. Some of you may have had a supernatural encounter directly of Paul knocked off to the ground. But at least for me, and I've said this before, Jerry Fishback was my encounter who led me to the Lord. Yes, I grew up in a Christian home, but he was the one who asked me, is this your family's faith or your faith? So these neighbors, they, what they got so wrapped up in is this is not possible This shouldn't have worked. Why is this working? So they argue, this isn't even him. Don't you love a good argument that makes no sense? And there he is. He's saying, it's me. It's me. As he washes himself, and now I can see in verse 11. He said, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me to go and wash yourself. So I did. Well, where is he now, they ask. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. So they don't like the answer. They're confused. And here's, here's the thing. Here's the sad part of sometimes the encounters with Jesus. People will reject the very notion that Jesus is God, that he's able to do it. They didn't like it. And what they were afraid of is that they would be kicked out of the temple, which means they would have been kicked out of community, and not only would they no longer be able to go to church, they would no longer be able to have a relationship with those people who attended church. So they didn't want anything to do with it, so they bring them to the Pharisees because the Pharisees will know what to do. So the next encounter. So the blind man had an encounter with Jesus. The disciples had an encounter with Jesus. The neighbors through the blind man and now the Pharisees. And let's see what the Pharisees say. They say, this man is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Man, get over it. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division of opinion among them. Well, clearly if he's from God, he would be following our rules. Jesus would be doing exactly what we tell him to do. We don't say that, but we expect that sometimes. See, again, Jesus saw the man, the disciples saw a problem. The disciples saw a blind man, Jesus saw image bearers. The neighbors did not want to believe because they were scared. And now the Pharisees, their encounter with Christ, they were threatened, their, their tradition was threatened. Jesus did not fit in the box they had created for him. So they are arguing about who this is. Then verse 17, the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? So now they finally asked the blind guy who's no longer blind. And the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. I don't know. He must be a prophet. And then the Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. Well, we didn't like your answer, and we don't believe you, even though the proof is in the pudding right before us. And they asked him, is this your son? He was born blind. If so, how can he now see? Give us an answer, parents. So his parents, and now his parents encounter with Jesus, again, not directly with Jesus, but through their son, which makes me question a little bit, where was his parents when he was begging? What was his parents doing? And the answer is, is again, if they were seen with their blind son, they could have been kicked out of the temple because they may carry the disease. But his parents reply, we know this is our son. Well, I hope so. And that he was born blind, but we do not know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid that the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough to ask him. So I believe that they wanted to believe, but they were more scared about what everybody else thought. What will happen to us? Our life will be turned upside down. Everything will be different if we admit I would imagine that there's been many a prayers these parents prayed for their son to be healed or to be comforted. And in verse 24, 
So for the second time, and this is not all happening in a day, it's probably over a, a week or two's time. So verse 20, they call him in again. The man who had been blind had told him God should get the glory for this. So now the, the blind man's getting it. God should get the glory of this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied. I don't know, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. And that is our testimony. That is the word of our testimony. Sometimes we're afraid to share our faith because we're afraid people will ask questions we don't have the answers to. We're afraid we don't know the Bible as well as we feel that we should. We're um, just worried that we won't have the right words to say. And yet, we all carry a testimony, those who are believers in Christ, and we can start with that. He says, I don't know. You guys are going down this theological rabbit hole whether or not he's a sinner. I have no idea. First, I said he was a prophet. You didn't like that. So my answer is, I don't know. But what I do know is my testimony. And my testimony is, I was blind and now I can see. And that should have done it, but it didn't. But what did he do? They asked him, how did he heal you? And at this point, he says, look, which is funny because he was blind a little while ago. Look, this man explained, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it? Do you want to become his disciples too? Like he's just like pushing it now. So clearly the reason you're asking this is because you want to be a disciple. You want to be part of the cool club, don't you? So, of course, they cursed at him and said, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. And his reply, why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Now, whenever he says, ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind, if you read through the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, there is no healing of someone who is blind. Blindness, physical blindness, was the ultimate end game. There's no healing. You read three different times in the Old Testament, people coming back from, from the dead. You read five times, if I counted correctly, lame people being healed, but never a blind person. And I think, and I believe truly, it's because God was saving this for his son to show that he was the Messiah. Because it's, as it is said in Isaiah, that he will come and the lame will leap and the blind will see. So he is the Messiah. Now, if these Pharisees really believed in what they were teaching, they would have put it together. And again, I'm not making fun of them. I become more and more aware every year how much of a Pharisee I am than I wish I wasn't. But yet they couldn't see beyond that. And that's why he said, can't you see? So they go on and he says, if this man, verse 33, if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And then verse 34, you were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? You were born a total sinner, going back to what the disciples assumed. Either he sinned in the womb, precarnation, his parents sinned. You're a total sinner, they answered. Because the Jewish tradition doesn't believe in the original sin. They believe that there's two parts. You either choose good or bad, and then through atonement you'll be saved. So they're saying... You're a sinner, and you're trying to teach us, and they threw him out of the synagogue. They're done with him. But verse 35, the next six verses is the best part. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus always finds us. Even when we're kicked out, ostracized from everything, he comes to us. And he asked that question, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus 
uses the word son of man instead of the son of God because anyone could be a son of God. At that time, the son of God, that's how you identified, either by your family name or the God or gods that you believed in. But to be the son of man means you are the new Adam. You came from God. He was showing his authority. Do you believe that I am the savior of the world is what he's asking. And the, the man answered very honestly, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Notice in verse 36, it says, the man answered, who is he, sir? That was just a general reflection of of courtesy to one man to another or a woman to a man or a child to a man, sir. But then when he says, yes, Lord, I believe, he transitions and he believes. And what is our response when we believe in Jesus Christ? What should our immediate response be? Worship Jesus. So as we encounter Jesus, we will realize that we, are always, has, we always have an opportunity to worship him. But he came for him just like he comes for us. Then Jesus told him, I entered the world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Just real quick, um, not to get too far off, but in Mark 8, 22 through 25, Jesus heals another blind man. I just want to point that out. There's a little bit of a contrast here. It says, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him because they already heard that Jesus could heal people. This is the first blind man at least recorded. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, then spit on the man's eyes. He laid his hands on him, again, making physical contacts. Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Two things to note. He knew what trees looked like, so at some point he had some kind of vision. The next part that's so fascinating is he was completely honest with Jesus. Yeah, I see, but not great. I'm not quite... I'm not there. And I think a lot of us as followers of Christ are walking around seeing things as walking trees because we're not honest to admit, you know what, Lord, I don't see very well and I need you to step in here. So then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again and his eyes were open. His, his sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. Again, if you remember, physical healing only leads, purpose is for salvation, spiritual healing. So that's why if you jump back to John 9 in verse 39 then Jesus told him I entered this world to render judgment to give sight to the blind and show those who think they see that they are blind some of the Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked are you saying we're blind and he says if you were blind you wouldn't be guilty Jesus replied but you remain guilty because you claim you can see because you're not honest that you see trees walking around. You're not honest with where you're at. If you were simply blind like this man, I could heal you because you would let me. So as we consider this, again, Jesus saw the man before the blind man saw him. Jesus sees you before we see him. And, and the other thing is if, if we run away from every opportunity for fear of making a mistake when we try to share our encounter or consider our encounter, you will always be living in hiding from the encounter with Christ. And I wrote down this for myself, but I'll let you in. If I believe in forgiveness, I have to stop playing it safe. Be honest with my encounter. And finally, before I invite Erica to come up, when we are sharing our encounter, when we say, I don't know, but what I know is I was blind and now I can see, when we share that, we, we're, we are sharing of someone that the world needs. But we have to be careful that we don't treat Christ as if we no longer need him. That our encounters with Christ was just the beginning of things to heal our past. We don't ever say, let me tell you about Jesus that saved me long ago. What we need to say 
As the blind man says, I was blind and now I see. And this is not the end of the story. Let me tell you about my Lord. And that's the encounter with Jesus. So I'm excited for this new series as we walk through and look at the different encounters. And we will look at some that are very hard because they totally walk away from Christ. And then we will look at some and we will praise God who acknowledges Christ as Lord. So at this time, I would like to invite Erica to come up and share her encounter with Jesus. Can we just clap? Because it's... Not that Erica needs motivation. She said yes before I finished asking her, so yeah. In my heart, it, was, it wasn't a yes right away in my heart. <laughs> my heart. I'm going to have to find this right here. In my heart, I was actually thinking, I haven't had a recent encounter with Jesus. And now that he read that scripture, the, the end scripture um, about the blind man that um, Jesus, the second one, Mark 8, that for me was an actual true encounter because that scripture for me was a rhema word in my life. But when I was thinking, well, I haven't had an encounter recently, but I thought I have just this past weekend. I've had six encounters with Jesus through the neighbors, like what he just said about the neighbors. They had an encounter with Jesus because I have encountered Jesus. And although I would like to share all six stories, I'm just going to share one for time's sake, because I have two minutes? Yeah. I might go a little bit over. Sure. <laughs> uh, my daughter had, a, she celebrated her 21st birthday um, just this past weekend. And she had been asking me to go for a couple months. And I bathed it in prayer, and I didn't hear a clear, in, I, I know this sounds weird, but I didn't hear a clear indication that I shouldn't go. But I bathed it in prayer because she's like, I don't want you to be uncomfortable. And I'm like, okay, whatever that means. But when I got there, um, the day of the party, there I had met everybody, and there was a particular young man that um, had captured my heart that day. The night before, there was another young man that had captured my heart, and that I actually drove home that night weeping for this young man. But on this day of the party, I had, it, the night was ending for me anyway. The party was obviously going to go on, but I was leaving. And so I asked, went to ask my daughter, hey, you going to go to church with me in the morning? And she's like, yeah, probably. But there was a young man sitting on the floor. That, that I'm talk, this particular man I'm talking about was sitting on the floor. Now, I had already seen this young man in his shorty shorts, and that's shorty shorts, that's it, shorty shorts, nothing else. Barefoot, shorty shorts, prancing around this party, twerking. And for those of you who do not know what twerking is, it's actually a, a dance that girl, young girls and young women do, and it's extremely provocative. And this young man was twerking all around that party. This young man was a very openly gay young man, and so was a young man the night before. But when he was sitting on the floor, and I asked my daughter this question, he looked up at me and said, what, church, what kind of church are you going to go to? And I said, well, Rudy, any church that preaches salvation through Christ, I am there. And I saw his countenance change. And he, he stood up, and through a conversation, at some point, I don't remember when, but I mentioned that after giving my life to Christ, I could no longer sin comfortably. And the funny thing was, is I had give, I, if I had a time to share my own testimony, I knew Christ, I gave my life to Christ seven years prior to surrendering to Christ. So in that seven-year period, I would try and sin, but honestly, I couldn't sin comfortably until I came to the end of my rope. And I was like Rudy on the floor, weeping. Well, as he, he, he stood up, 
And when I mentioned I can no longer sin comfortably, he began weeping. And I began weeping. And I hugged him. And mind you, the night before, I wept with the other young man who was also gay, I had mentioned. And just an hour and a half before that, a young girl in sharing a conversation began weeping and laid her head in my lap as I stroked her hair. She didn't even know me. But as he wept in front of all these people in this party, and I hugged him, he said, may we talk privately? And I said, yes, we may. And we went to the garage, and for 45 minutes, he poured his heart out to me, intermittently weeping and talking about how he was molested and how he grew up in the church. And he was running, and he was running hard. But needless to say, I encountered Jesus six times in a matter of three days. And he encountered Jesus in the middle of his mess. And I know God is going to redeem his life because he met with him that day. And it just reminded me of, um, I'm just going to read, I'm sure some of you are familiar with uh, experiencing God, the study, experiencing God. But for those of you who are not, I'm going to put my glasses on because I'm trying to read and I and I can't even see what I'm reading, and I'm dropping things again. <laughs> you do not. <laughs> um, experiencing God, it's a, it's an intense study, and in a nutshell, in a very small nutshell, it reinforces the fact that number one. God is always at work. Number two, he pursues, invites, and speaks to us, asking us to join him in that work. Number three, we then come to a crisis of belief on whether or not we will trust him. And if we do, there will be major adjustments that, we have, to, that have to be made in our life. But the end result of obedience is experiencing God, just as the study is titled. And encountering Jesus is where we experience in God. I don't know about y'all, but every encounter I have had with Jesus has been the ultimate. And it's, you know, the Bible talks about he who has been forgiven much loveth much. We all sin. And like Dallas was saying, um, if you grow up in the Lord, there's a point in your life where you have to make that commitment of surrender. And you ha he has to be you for yours. He has to be your Jesus. And I love the fact that the scripture said what happened, when all this happened to the blind man, Jesus found him. And my daughter did at the end say, Mom, I hope you weren't uncomfortable. And I said, Sianna, how could I be uncomfortable? Jesus had to bring me here to meet them because they were like me when Jesus met me and they were not going to step foot in a church house. So Jesus, I was Jesus's hands and feet. And yes, I did have an encounter with Jesus. Jealous. <laughs> His name's Rudy. His name's Rudy. Uh, let's pray. And the other guy's name's Alex. Okay. And the, other, and the, and the girl. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> God, thank you so she much. She's, Look, coming, she's coming to church with me, I hope. Praise the Lord. <laughs> God, we'd lift up these people to you, Rudy, Alex, the girl from Antica, the three other people that uh, Erica encountered, um, for your glory, Lord. Thank you for the willingness to share um, that we've heard from Erica, Lord, and thank you that uh, first the encounter, our encounters with you, you may bring people into our lives, but yet not just for us but that way we may share the good news. 
And Lord, uh, our encounter doesn't have to be an act of service or, or anything. It's just simply an act of worship, Lord. But we do lift these precious people up to you that Erica had mentioned, and we just pray that they come to a saving relationship through your son. Thank you again for never giving up on us. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now, that was fun. Um, whatever your encounter is, just make sure that you write it down, record it. Um, mostly for you. We're going to receive communion. Uh, you only have to believe, be a believer in Jesus Christ to participate with us. Let me pray. God, thank you. Uh, for this time. Thank you for our encounter here at this very moment with you. And help us be mindful that our lives are full of encounters. May it be um, talking to someone at a party. May it be uh, you showing us that we did pack our phone charger. Lord, you care about the details. You care about us so much. You love us so much. And when we go through things, we know that you will ultimately use it for your good, for your glory, and for us to grow closer to you. So we'll, as we face things, will you help increase our faith, our trust in you, and um, be bold to share when prompted to, Lord. But most of all, we just thank you for loving us. We prepare our hearts as we get ready to receive communion, to be reminded in remembrance of the sacrifice on the cross. Ultimately, that is why we can have a, an encounter, because of everything that you've done. So Lord, as we uh, worship you through a few more songs, we prepare our hearts. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.